Advent uh, sermon series uh, taken from uh, 2 Corinthians 2.20, a verse that says, all God's promises find their yes in Jesus. What an amazing statement. Every single promise that God has ever made finds its yes, finds its fulfillment in Jesus. What's implicit in that is that God has made promises and that these promises find their fulfillment in what we call Christmas. There are three major promises, however, in the Old Testament that are unique. God promises a lot, but there are three major promises in the Old Testament given to Abraham, Moses, and David. Abraham, Moses, and David that are uniquely significant that um, I'll explain why. Um, But these are so significant that we call them covenants, a covenant that he made with Abraham, Moses, and David. So what we're going to do this Advent season is show how Christmas, the coming of Jesus, is the yes to each of those promises to Abraham, Moses, and David. This morning we begin with the first one, Father Abraham, way back in Genesis 12. But I'll introduce the theme of promise and fulfillment in this series uh, this way. Part of doing Christmas with young kids is having to deal with uh, their, uh, I guess you could say, desire to get things for Christmas that they um, are just not ready for yet. Uh, They kind of perpetually live in this uh, wanting things that are just another stage beyond them. I suppose maybe we never grow out of that tendency. All of us are always looking to the next stage, the once of the next stage, and kids are no exception. And so part of Christmas is dealing with these requests. So uh, thus far this year, um, we've had a request for a gun. Um, When that was turned down, they said they would settle for a sword um, and also nunchucks. Um, Now, um, and by the way, my kids, if you don't know, I have four boys, uh, nine six, four, and one. So they're just, they're just not quite at the age where lethal weapons are appropriate yet. And, um, and so, you know, no, you can't have a gun or a sword or nunchucks for Christmas. And I think they tend to understand that. But there is one request that is uh, becoming quite the topic of tension this year in the Cunningham household. And um, I'll be honest, I'm going to blame some of you uh, for this. Uh, one of my sons wants a cell phone. Um, call me legalistic, call me behind the times, call me whatever you want, Um, but we're not having a cell phone discussion until at least they're teenagers. Um, Now, here's the problem. I'll say this. Let me preface this thing to death. Parenting is unique. It requires wisdom, not legalism. Um, Nobody knows your child better than you. God made you their parent for a reason. I'm not here as a pastor to bind your conscience in a way that Scripture uh, does not bind your conscience. All of these things are true, but some of you parents are killing me. <laughs> because it's the, they have a cell phone, how come I can't have a cell phone routine that gets played out? And this isn't just with my oldest one. Some of the younger, I don't know where, when parents are doing this now. It's like, hey, you said your first words. that cute? Here's an iPhone 6. <laughs> so... Here I am just trying to fight this, this, this battle um, with my son. And, and so uh, here's, where, here's where it's ending. I've had to look at him and say, son, I promise you, I will buy you a phone. The day will come when I will buy you a phone. And of course, the next question is when? When? 
And the answer is, I can't tell you when. I don't know when. You don't know when. In fact, no one knows the day or the hour of (laughs) fulfillment. But I promise, I promise when it's right, when the fullness of time has come, I promise I will get you a phone. Now, do you trust your father? Now it's on me. I have promised. I will deliver. You're going to have to trust. And such is the nature of promise, trust, and fulfillment. So he waits Christmas after Christmas. He waits, he pines until that blessed Christmas morning when the time has come for me to make good on my promise. The story of the Bible is the story of the creation, the world waiting for God to make good on his promises. It is the story of longing, of yearning, of anticipation. Sometimes when you read the Psalms, it is the story of crying and screaming at the heavens for God to answer his promises. And so the story goes through centuries of longing and pining until that blessed Christmas morning when God answers every single promise he has ever made with the birth of Jesus Christ, who is the arrival of yes to all of God's promises. This morning we take up probably the most fundamental promise in all of Scripture, his promise to Abraham. And I'm going to do it in three ways. We're going to look at at the promise, the promise to Abraham, and then we're going to see the birth of Abraham's yes and the fulfillment of Abraham's yes. So the promise to Abraham, the birth of Abraham's yes, the fulfillment of Abraham's yes. Let's start with the promise itself. Now, it's the passage that we read, but before we look at that passage, let me just in one paragraph set the scene. I don't want to assume that everybody knows the story, and it's totally okay if you don't know um, how this all works together. Basically, when God created humanity, he created us as uh, missional beings. What I mean by that is he created us with a purpose, with a a command, um, with a mandate is what we use, the language we use. And it's this, to fill the world and subdue the world. Fill it with God's image. We are creating the image of God. So you go and fill the world and fill it with the image of God and subdue it with God's ways. And in this way, creation would be filled with the glory of God and would glorify God. That's the plan. Well, the huge catastrophe of the entire biblical story takes place just three chapters in. The huge conflict that the entire narrative is now um, trying to resolve is this, that we rebelled against his original mandate and command. And so what has happened is we have filled the world, but not with his glory, but with our shame. We have subdued the world, but not according to his righteous ways, but with our sinful ways. The world is not flourishing. I don't have to tell you that. The world is not flourishing with the scent of life. The world is decaying with the stench of death. But immediately after that catastrophe, what we call it is the fall. Immediately after the fall, God promises to fix everything. Immediately. He promises to redeem the entire mess through a redeemer. Someone's going to come and fix what you have done and restore the entire plan that God had for creation. 
And then shortly after that promise, at least in the Bible story, um, 12 chapters, or I guess nine chapters after that promise, uh, redemption begins. He starts this process of redeeming it. And it begins with one man and one promise. And that's what we heard read this morning from Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's the promise in a nutshell, okay? From the descendants of this one person, Abraham, God is going to make a great nation. Later on in Genesis, he says, look up at the stars. Can you count them? That's how great, that's how vast this nation, these people that come from you will be. He will make this great nation. Later in the story, that nation will be called the nation of Israel. That's why the Old Testament is all about the nation of Israel. And the citizens of the nation, of course, Jews. And the promise God makes is that the nation of Israel would be blessed by God. Now, what does that mean, blessed by God? That is much more than the cavalier way we use the word blessed, like have a blessed day. This is, this is the covenantal blessing of God. Essentially, it means that God has chosen to treat Israel as his own child, his special possession. He will love them like a child. He will, he will defend them. He will discipline them. He will deliver them. He will rescue them. Ultimately, he will save them. Now, to the Jews to the members of Israel by birth, I cannot tell you how paramount those verses are, were and are. The Abrahamic promise was the promise that they, hung, that they, they clung to, that they loved to claim and loved to remember and celebrate. This is the most important passage in Scripture to the nation of Israel. But amazingly, amazingly, the majority of Israel missed the entire purposes of these verses. It was their favorite verses, they were their favorite verses, and they missed the entire purpose of the verses. These verses were intended to create this expectation and this longing, not for Israel's salvation, but for the world's salvation. The promise to Abraham was not about Israel, it was about the world. What you see in the promise is that Israel is not just this chosen means of reclaiming his original vision for them, but that Israel is a chosen means of reclaiming his original vision for the world. Israel is not merely the benefactors of God's blessing and salvation. Israel is the instrument of God's blessing and salvation. Israel is not God's favorite nation. Israel is God's evangelism nation was the plan. Look at verse 2. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Boy, Israel loved that. We're going to be the great nation. That's going to be us. Nationalistic pride. We're going to be the best nation. But we haven't even gotten to the purpose clause of the entire promise yet. So that, so that we know this is the clause, that that's what he's saying. I'm going to do this so that you will be a blessing. Next verse, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Boy, Israel loved that. He's going to be our defender. Don't mess with us. We're God's people. He'll defend us. But we haven't even gotten to the purpose clause. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This nation, 
of Abraham was blessed so that all the nations would be blessed. Remember, blessed in the significant covenantal salvific way, salvation way. God saved Israel as a means to save the world. So here was the plan. He chose them. They're fruitful. He gives them, their law. He gives them his law. He gives them his identity. He gives them a marker and circumcision. Um, he gives them a sacrificial system. He gives them their own land. He sets this holy nation apart and the plan is for Israel to prosper in that land and bear witness to all the other nations. When the other nations would encounter Israel, they would encounter Israel's God, his law, his culture, his atonement, his salvation, the hope of his coming Redeemer and Messiah and they would take the God of Israel as their God. And so in this way, Israel was decisively missional as a nation and the children of Abraham's promise were missionaries of the world. Well, for those of you familiar with the Bible, you know that all failed. All of it. They loved the first half of the promise. They called them blessed. And they completely neglected the second half of the promise that called them to be a blessing. And that neglect played out in two ways as you read the story. Either they compromised their identity and became like the other nations. So we're going to worship your gods. Baal, we want to worship Baal, like you. Um, we're going to adopt your practices. We're, we're jealous of you as a nation. We want a king like you. We want to follow your ways and so forth. So either they compromised their identity or they would, they, they would hide their identity and retreat from the other nations. All you unclean, pagan, Gentiles, uncircumcised, you're a threat to our cleanliness, we're the chosen people, so we're just going to huddle up in self-righteous kind of nationalistic pride and protect ourselves from you and hide from all the bad people of the world. So they became like the nations or they hid from the nations. But the one thing they didn't do was the one thing they were supposed to do and convert the nations. And it would seem that the promise given to Abraham that all of the families of the earth will be blessed, that all of the nations will be saved through him has been thwarted by Abraham's unfaithful children. It would seem as though the people of Israel have messed up the plan. So, has God's promise to Abraham failed? Is God a liar when he told Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to save the world through you? Well, without Christmas, then yes. Yes, God is a liar. But with Christmas, with the coming of God's answer, with the coming of yes, he is faithful, he is true, because Jesus came to be the true Israelite, to be who Israel never was to do what Israel was supposed to do, to make good on God's promise. All God's promises find their yes in Christmas, the birth of God's Savior. Let's turn now to Luke 2 and see the birth of Abraham's yes. Now, having said everything that I've said thus far, I just want to point one thing out in these famous verses that you've heard said a hundred times. I think they're in Charlie Brown Christmas. I think there's everywhere this season, okay? But I want to point out one thing about it that, it was, that was scandalous and amazing and beautiful with all the background in mind. Verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you the gospel, literally, that says good news, 
That's literal translation is I bring you gospel of great joy that will be for Israel. Your Bible does not say that. I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. The claim was that the Savior has come into the world not just to save the nation of Israel, but for the salvation of all the nations that Israel failed to save. And then when you look at the life of Jesus, what you see is a man steadfastly committed to the Abrahamic covenant fidelity. To do what Israel was supposed to do as children of Abraham, determined to be what Israel failed to be. We see this in the way he neglected all of the Jewish customs by fellowshipping with those unclean Gentiles, loving them, healing them, welcoming them. Those who are not a part of Israel's race, the outsiders that Israel was supposed to love and save, Jesus came to do that. We see this in the way so many of his teachings and parables speak to his purpose of his coming as not being for Israel, but for Gentiles as well. All of those parables, all those teachings was trying to get Israel to see, you missed it. You missed it. It was never about you. We see it in the way he would just courageously and unashamedly confront the leaders of Israel and look them in the eye and tell them that my salvation is not about you. It's for everyone. In fact, his most famous words, the most famous words that we have from, from the New Testament that everybody in America knows are, is, is actually this just shockingly brazen moment where he looks at a leading man in Israel, a Pharisee. I mean, the leaders of, uh, of this Jewish identity movement looks at him in the eye, Nicodemus, and says these just audacious words, for God so loved, not Israel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Just this global emphasis. That is what got Jesus in so much trouble and ultimately why much of Israel rejected him. For so long, they had misinterpreted God's promise, distorting his words to Abraham to make salvation all about them so that when salvation actually came, when the answer actually showed up, they rejected it because they didn't recognize it because the salvation included everyone, not just them. But Jesus couldn't care less about what they wanted him to be. He was bound and determined to be the yes to God's promise to Abraham. He came to obey the Father. And the Father wants the nations back. And so he came to save the nations. Now there's a huge obstacle in that salvation um, for him to save the nations and come back next week and we will see how Jesus fixes that problem uh, by, being, by being the yes to uh, the promise given to Moses, the Mosaic covenant. Um, so we'll look at that next week. But after fixing that problem through his death and resurrection, Jesus gathers his disciples together, and you know this. Jesus gathers his disciples together, and he says, okay, now go. I want you to go to the nations and tell them God's yes is here, essentially. 
tell them about me, disciple them about me, teach them to obey me. I am the yes. Go tell the nations. Because this is for the nations. And that is where we are today. And I have applications for where we are. But first, I want to do this every week during Advent. I want us to peek ahead. Um, because the way Advent is supposed to work is we're supposed to relive Israel's expectation for the coming of Jesus so that we can ourselves, it, it would cultivate in us an expectation for the second Advent of Jesus. So I want to peek ahead. Uh, not just if his first coming was the birth of Abraham's yes, the second Advent of Jesus will be the fullness of Abraham's yes. Revelation 21 is a famous passage of consummation. It's like the Luke 2 of the return of Christ. When people think about the coming of Christ, they think Luke 2. When they think about the return of Christ, they think about Revelation 21 because it's the revelation of the fullness of promise. It's this picture of when all of the yeses are fulfilled, what it will look like. And the fullness is this. It's a new world from heaven invading earth. And there's a peculiar thing about this new world. There's no sun. And it says that there's no sun because the glory of God will be there and that will be the light. It'll be all the light that we need. We won't need the sun. We'll have the glory of God. It will cover the, um, it'll cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And then it says this about that glory of God in verse 24. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Not the nation, the nations. The picture is a redeemed parade of nations of every culture, every tongue, every tribe, every nation fulfilling their destiny by bringing their unique dignity and honor and glory and worship to gather before the God of all nations so that he might delight over the final fulfillment of his promise way back when to Abraham so that he can smile over the fulfillment that the nations that once despise him now adore him. But we're not there yet. That's where we're going. We're not there yet. You know what we are doing now? You know what your job is? To get the world there. You are simultaneously the recipients of God's promise to Abraham. You know that, right? We're, those un we're the ends of the earth. We're those unclean Gentiles that have no business calling ourselves children of Abraham, but by the gospel are now children of Abraham. We are simultaneously the recipients of the promise to Abraham and now the ambassadors of the promise to Abraham. So what this means is this. We have to fight the tendency, and it's so tempting, to fall into the exact same trap as our ancestors before us, Israel, by individualizing, by internalizing Christmas as though the coming of Jesus was for my salvation. It was for your salvation that you might be a conduit of salvation in this world. Test yourself now as we enter into Advent season. Test yourself with this. Take the things that we normally celebrate, the themes that these candles represent. Take the things that we normally celebrate and contemplate and ask yourself whether you are individualizing them during Christmas. Meaning this. Do you long not just for personal peace, but peace on earth? 
How much do you long for your personal peace? And how much do you long for peace on earth, goodwill toward men? Do you long not just for personal joy, but for joy to the world? Far as the curse is found. Do you long not just for your own healing from your own brokenness, but for the healing of the nations, as Revelation promises? Do you long not just for personal salvation, but that the world through him might be saved? Remember, Israel had a hard time with Christ's first advent because it wasn't about them. And they wanted it to be and they expected it to be. But he came for the world. But we need to check ourselves in our hearts and make sure that we will not be disappointed by the second advent of Christ because it won't be about us. It will be about the world. It will be about the nations. Now, do you know how to rebuke that tendency that's inside of all of us and it's inside my, my heart as well? Do you know how to not set yourself up for disappointment? Do you know how to prepare yourself to celebrate the second advent of Jesus Christ and not be disappointed when it comes? Don't just sit back enjoying the blessings of Abraham's promise. Get busy participating in the purposes of Abraham's promise. If your vision of the Christian life is simply internalized, individualized, and constantly process and enjoy God's salvation, then you will be very disappointed by the fullness of God's salvation. But if your vision of the Christian life is to share God's salvation, to I'm blessed to be a blessing of God's salvation, then you're going to be thrilled with the fullness of the Christian, of the fullness of God's salvation because it will be what you have always longed for every tongue, tribe, and nation. So application is to join the purposes of God's promise to Abraham so that you won't be disappointed by the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Now, practically, what does that even mean? Most people hear sermons like this, and, and here's the one application, and it's not a bad application, but here's how these sermons go. Missions. Let's go. God wants the nations. Let's go to the nations. I want to be a missionary, maybe. I want to go on a mission trip. I want to send missionaries. I want a church to be doing missions. I'm sending out missionaries, and all that's awesome, and I certainly do not want to extinguish that, and who knows? Perhaps God is raising up some of you among us uh, to go to unreached nations because you heard this sermon. All that's true. But please do not forget that he has you in a nation. I know a lot of people with idealistic visions of missions who haven't told their neighbor about Jesus. I know a lot of people who want to travel across the world to tell about Jesus, but not across the street. So I'm not going to let this sermon take that turn. Here's my very real application to the Abrahamic covenant as we enter into Advent season. This is your assignment for parish groups tonight. Um, and if you're not in a parish group, we'd love for you to be in a parish group. But if you're not, just uh, this is still your assignment. You're, you're not off the hook. This is your assignment. I want you to come to your group, uh, prepare to tell them who's it going to be and what are you going to do. Let me explain. Who's it going to be? I want you to have somebody specifically, somebody that, that, that God is calling you 
to extend the Abrahamic covenant of blessing to. <laughs> a neighbor, a coworker, family member, I don't know, I don't know. But I want you to, I want you, and if spouses, I want you to pray about it, families, think about this. I, I want you to actually name somebody. Don't let this be ethereal. I need, I need to reach out to my neighbors more. Name the neighbor. Who's it going to be? And what are you going to do? Here's what I mean by that. Some of you, um, and this is okay. This is okay. I struggle with this too. I, I, uh, I struggle with this too. Some of you don't even know, um, don't even know your neighbors. And they don't even know that you're a Christian. So what's it going to be for you might be the most terrifying thing in the world for you would be to knock on a door, say, this is embarrassing. We've been living together next to each other forever and I haven't even gotten to know you. Uh, we'd love to have you over for dinner during the Christmas season just to get to know you. Uh, some of you, um, some of you may have known your neighbors forever, but you're just, you're just a good guy. You know, you just, hey, we just get along. We just, we just hang out in the neighborhood and we have fun. This is where I really struggle. We just hang out, have fun, know the neighbors, laugh together and stuff like that. But I never tell you about the most important thing in my life, which happens to be Jesus. I'm going to have a conversation. That's what I'm going to do. Here's the person, and I'm going to have a conversation about Jesus Christ. Um, it could be reconciling. Your, your neighbor... Um, Y'all could be in a, a, a lawn dispute, maybe not on the Rand Paul level, but y'all, y'all, y'all could be, uh, y'all could be, you know, all his leaves are always in my yard, my lean, that, 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 that thing, and y'all are in a fight or something. It may be making cookies and going next door, Merry Christmas, let's be friends. Um, it could be, this would be a great one. You got a friend, you got a neighbor, you got a coworker. Hey, on uh, December, uh, what, 17th is our cantata? 17th. Get the date right. 17th. Hey, we had this beautiful cantata. Um, everybody loves Christmas music. Come, come, to, come to my church on the 17th. I, I'd love to take you out to lunch afterwards and talk about everything that you heard and saw, whatever. On and on, you can go with the applications. But all I'm asking is for you to just, who's it going to be and what are you going to do to get this world one step closer to the fullness of the Abrahamic covenant? Not only will this bless our city, and it will, um, you can imagine, I mean, you know, uh, just there's hundreds of people in parish groups, hundreds more not in parish groups, so if we all commit to do this, there's hundreds of people in our city that just are going to get a random uh, taste of God's blessing this Advent season. But, that, but that, the point is beyond that. I'm hoping you will get a taste of participating in the promise to Abraham, and it will become contagious. You will start seeing God's blessing as not just something to enjoy, but as something to share. And you will prepare yourself well for the fullness of God's answer and won't be disappointed by his second advent the way Israel was disappointed by his first advent. Because friends, I'm telling you, it's not going to be you and Jesus. It's not even going to be you, your family, your friends, and people you agree with in Jesus. You will actually be in the minority on that day. When the promise finds its fullness, it will be a throng of saints, millions upon millions of elect from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And you get the honor, the unbelievable honor of being a small part of that parade. But what you will discover is that the fullness of promise may not be what you expected and it may not even be what you wanted. Maybe you want it to be just you and Jesus. Maybe you want it to be all about you. It may not be what you expected and it may not be what you wanted, but it will far exceed your expectations. It will be better than you could have ever imagined. Uh, You know, the day will come 
when I'm going to buy my son a cell phone. But here's the thing. What I will buy him then will not be what he wants and expects now. You know, you know that this, this technology stuff is just getting out of control. Who, who knows what it's going to be when the time comes? Uh, cell phones will probably just be obsolete. Um, I, can't, I can't even imagine what the fulfillment of my promise that I'm making to him now will be. He certainly can't imagine uh, what that will be when it comes to pass. If, but I'll say this, if on the morning of Christmas 2025, maybe 30, if he unwraps an iPhone, he will start crying with disappointment. What is this thing? It's like a rotary phone. They don't use these anymore. This is terrible. I will fulfill my promise to him. I will. But the fulfillment will be greater than both his longings and his expectations. And so it is for God's promises. The answer will not be what we expect or even thought we wanted. But we will be oh so glad God didn't give us what we expect or we wanted. It will not be you and God. It will be every tongue, every tribe, every nation, including you and God. It will not be joy to you. It will be, as we are about to sing, joy to the world. Let me pray. Lord, as we come to your table, the sign of your blessing, um, you did not hold to your blessing. You poured it out for us, even at the cost of your own life. As we come to that, Lord, I pray you would fill us, yes, with the assurance of your love, fill us with the gospel, fill us with blessing, but only that we might bend that out to the world around us. Yes, to the nations, but starting with our next door neighbor, um, that we would um, be blessed now by your sacrament to be a blessing to Lexington. Do this, we ask, for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.